This election, your choice couldn't be more important. Our candidate is in flattering lighting and full bright color. Their candidate is in grainy high contrast black and white. Spotted through a telephoto lens from behind a bush. Coming back from God only knows where. Our guy points at the horizon and holds a baby. Their guy doesn't have a baby. Their guy has a golf club. The voiceover for our guy is calm, measured, bright. Their guy gets the lower register. And sometimes we slow our guy has clean headlines and the beautiful lens flare America needs. Here's a scary graph over a photo of their guy awkwardly laughing. Snap zoom. Do you want a snap zoom like that in office? Here's a photo of our guy saluting military veterans. Jump cuts, flashes, static, aggressive colors. You can't trust a guy with graphics like this. Our guy gets stock footage of sunrises and an American flag. Their guy's flag is upside down and on fire. Intercut with overdue bills, war, and a crying baby. Our guy gets doctor and astronauts and stimulus checks. Flatline, an eagle, hurricane, the Statue of Liberty, crime scene tape, Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, building, atomic bomb. This election, the choice is yours. Their guy or our guy. Inspiring slogan. I'm a candidate for president and I endorse this message. Unless you disagree. In which case, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Just when you thought it was safe to come to church and just when you thought it was safe after election season, no more campaign ads. It was Tuesday. It's over. Let's celebrate. Yay! It's really not ever over, is it? It's just kind of crazy like that. And so uh, I thought that would be a fun way to start. Today we're going to have a talk uh, out of Scripture in regards to uh, religious liberty and just some ideas that, there are in that are in line there. And sometimes it's just fun to make fun of ourselves, isn't it? You know, you've got these moments where you just take a look and there's just one campaign after another and it just seems to get a little more outrageous and a little more outrageous and a little more outrageous until we're just kind of just tired of it. Go ahead and turn with your, in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. And, and before I go on, anytime you start, uh, start a conversation about church and state, and, and anytime you start thinking in regards to what does Scripture say about the church and state, and, and especially on this Sunday, it's November 13th, just two days ago was Veterans Day. And, and I just, yeah, what an incredible opportunity we have to say thank you to the men and women who have served in our armed forces. You know, John tells us, greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And sometimes we don't ask people to lay down their lives. Sometimes we ask people to lay down their livelihoods. And so could we just take a moment right now? If, you, if you're a veteran, if you have served or are on active duty in one of our branches of the armed forces, would you mind standing right where you are for just a moment? Could you do that? Could we just say thank you to you for a moment? Thank you so much for your service. The men and women who have done that, thank you so much for that. Thank you very, very much for who you are and for what it is that you've done for our families and for our nation. We really do sleep peacefully at night because of men and women just like you and the service that you provide. And so thank you so much for that. You know, today uh, we, we've been in a series called Asking for a Friend. 
And in that series, we've received questions from people uh, all over our community, in our church and outside of our church. And we've been trying to answer those questions scripturally. And at the same time, we've been trying to, uh, to, to talk a little bit to kind of point our, our mind and our heart to something that we call the Baptist Faith and Message. It's a document that Southern Baptists use that really summarizes some of the most critical doctrines of our faith. And it's a summary of the, the things that we believe. And, and one of the questions that we received, I just think is really interesting in light of Veterans Day on November 11th and in light of the election that we just have had, and the, the, the question is really interesting. It says this, here's the question that we received. I know faithful Christians who support issues and candidates that I believe are just wrong. What should I do about that? I know faithful Christians who support issues and candidates who support uh, who support issues and candidates that I believe are just wrong, what should I do about that? Well, we're going to spend some time today from Scripture trying to answer that question. And for those of you who are veterans, you've spent maybe a lifetime, maybe uh, just whatever your term of service was, uh, defending our liberty. And I'm so thankful for that. And for every one of you who has ever cast a vote, the reason you're casting that vote is to some degree in defense of our liberty. This idea that we are grateful for the nation that we live in and for the freedom that we have and that we believe those freedoms have a source. But one of the things that I hope we'll see today, just as we talk about this, is that the, the political liberty that we have has a source and it begins in our religious liberty. It's actually the First Amendment. It begins with the idea that we have the freedom to worship as we choose. It's basically the freedom to believe what we want to believe. And Article 17 of the Baptist Faith and Message, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read part of it. But it says this. Article 17 says, God alone is the Lord of the conscience, and he has let it, left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are contrary to his word and not contained in it. Church and state should be separate. The state owes to, uh, to every church protection and full freedom in the pursuit of its spiritual ends. In providing for such freedom, no ecclesiastical group or denomination should be favored by the state more than others. That's part of the Baptist faith and message. And if you have your app and you're on the Bible app and you're looking at the notes for today, you'll be able to see a link to the Baptist faith and message where you can read more of that. But all of the liberties that we have as a nation have their source in this idea that we have religious liberties, that we have religious freedom and the idea that we can believe what we need to believe or what we want to believe. And so on this day, as we talk about religious liberty and we ask that question, I know Christians, they're faithful Christians who support issues and candidates that I just think are wrong. And you know, you know people that are just like that. Uh, what, what should we do about that? We're going to see from Scripture today some things we can do together about that. Now, as we do that, I want to highlight something because there's been this strange change in our nation over the last several years. Show that first picture, if you would. Uh, yeah, uh, for a long time, this is kind of the way our nation has looked, right? You've got liberals, you've got conservatives, you've got that line in the middle. But it feels like over time, one of the things that has changed is this. Go to that next, uh, that next slide. Yeah, it looks like that, you know, my friend and I, we haven't really changed. We're still one of us liberal, a little more liberal than the other, one of us a little more conservative than the other. We're kind of in the same spot, but the spectrum of what is liberal and conservative has just gotten a little wider. And there's some people over here on the left that... 
they're just a little more left even than my friend who is left, and they're just a little more over here on the right than my friend who is right, and so the middle hasn't changed, and my friend, and then there's this last one, and it just seems like, oh wow, now we've gone from my friend and I haven't really changed. I'm a little more this, and they're a little more that. We're kind of in the same spot, but the whole world has just kind of gotten crazy on both ends. You've got crazy on the left and crazy on the right, and crazy is awfully entertaining, but it's no way to run a country, right? You know, that's just kind of the way, the way things are. And so I think one of the reasons why you see this happening is because there are some people in our world today who have forgotten that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. I think they've forgotten that. And they've begun to place their faith in the government to lead them, or the government to protect them, or the government to guide them, or the government to provide for them. They've begun to think that the dollar is, well, everything rises and falls on the dollar. They begin to think that. They begin to think that the source of their security Maybe in our military. The source of our security may be in that we're a nation of laws, and I'm grateful that we're a nation of laws. They've begun to think, well, they've begun to place their hope in everything but Jesus. And I'm here to say today, when it comes to religious liberty, any liberty that you have is really founded on the idea that religious liberty must come first. Because our religious liberty is what protects our ability to believe what we want to believe. It's, and I've said this before. It's the beauty of the First Amendment. The First Amendment protects a number of things. It starts with the, the, the freedom to worship. Then it becomes the freedom of speech. This is all in the First Amendment. Freedom of speech. Then the freedom to write things down. To, to write what you want. The freedom of the journal. The, of journalism. Then the freedom, uh, then the freedom to, to assemble. The, the freedom to get together with the people that you want to get together with. And then finally the ability. The freedom to petition the government for changes. That's all contained in the First Amendment. And there's this incredible progression of things that begins with the freedom to worship. That the state shouldn't get in the way of your ability to believe what you want to believe because all these other things flow out of that. What you believe determines what you want to say. And what you want to say becomes what you end up writing down. What you write down actually influences who you end up assembling with. And in those assemblies is where you determine what are the things I'm going to ask our government to do or not to do. So every liberty we have is founded on this idea that religious liberty must come first. So if I know people who are faithful Christians who believe in candidates and issues or they support candidates and issues that I don't support, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, there's just some quick hits that I want to remind us of even before we get into the passage. Just some things about our faith that I want to remind us about. I'm going to hit these really quickly. And it's some things that I've said before. It's why I want to remind us quickly about them. The very first thing when it comes to religious liberty is whatever the law may say, our faith does not require government approval. Our faith doesn't require government approval. Now, uh, Paul is a great example of that. Paul looked at the Roman government and said, you, you can't stop my faith. My faith does not require government approval. Now, at the same time, the laws were opposed to Christianity in his time. And Paul and Peter and James and John and all of the other apostles, they ended up spending some time in prison, spending some time in exile, and at some point, very legally being killed for their faith. So while my faith does not require government approval, sometimes because of my faith, I will end up legally suffering because I am a person of faith. That's an acceptable, actually, for a believer, that's an acceptable outcome. Because the goal isn't about transforming simply laws. 
The goal is about people, and it's about hearts. And the reality that our hope doesn't rest on any government or any form of government, our, our hearts, our, our hope rests in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and, and the church is his plan for sharing that hope with the world. So for a quick hit, the first idea is that our faith doesn't require government approval. The second idea, just really quickly, is that Christianity has survived and even thrived in every form of government that humanity has conceived. It, Christianity is thriving and growing in communist China right now today. The largest church in the world is in South Korea. There's every form of, 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 of government that humanity has conceived, Christianity has survived and even thrived in. Now we have this incredible privilege here in America, and it's the privilege of this idea that, that our, our, all of our liberties are based on this religious liberty idea that we have the ability to believe what we want to believe. And that's worth protecting. That's worth defending. It's worth fighting for. It's worth honoring and respecting. And so I hope that we always do that. And, and as I think about religious liberty, one of the ideas that I hope we'll catch is that religious liberty is not simply the protection of the law. It's the earnest expectation and hope that people of faith will live faithfully by the Spirit of God within their nation. Religious liberty is not about what the government does for us as believers. Religious liberty begins when we consider, as followers of Christ, what are we supposed to do for the governed? We are the governed. We are the government. Remember, of, by, and for the people. So how can we live our lives? How can we live faithfully within our nation as we live our faith regardless of what the law says? How can we do that? And uh, my friend, Mike Henry, says, he's sitting right over here, one of the things that he said before is that lost people desperately need Christians to show up and live like they've heard Christians say the Bible says they're supposed to live. I just think that's a critical kind of a quick hit idea for us, that yes, our vote matters, and yes, our involvement in politics matters, and yes, the way we debate and discuss and talk about politics matters, but what the world needs more than anything else what, the, what our government needs more than anything else, what our leaders need more than anything else is for Christian people to show up in their world and live the way that they've said the Bible says Christians are supposed to live within this world. That's who we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to do. So as we think about that question, I, I just, I, there's just some people who are faithful Christians and they, just, they support issues and candidates that I think are wrong. What am I supposed to do with that? 1 Timothy chapter 2 helps to answer that question. So now that you're at 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. And as we read this together, just re recognize we're reading this as an act of worship. When I'm finished, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord to honor the fact that these aren't my words, this is God's word. And you'll respond by saying, praise be to God. So here's what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through verse 4. Therefore, I exhort first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God. Thank you so much. You may be seated. 
So how do we live our faith and live faithfully in this nation? How do we take a picture like that where it seems like the crazy on one end is just trying to outdo the crazy on the other end and we're just somewhere, not, we're, we're a little left or we're a little right, we're just kind of right there together, we've got our friends, but it just seems like things are pushing out that direction. How do we influence our friends? How do we serve the people of our nation and our community? How do we live within this community and within this church in a way that allows us to honor God, to lift to live our faith and then to live faithfully within our nation. How do we do that? Well, we see that right there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. The very first thing you can do to get these things right is to make prayer the foundation of every relationship. Make prayer the foundation of every relationship. You know, when I'm talking with couples who are about to get married, I'll talk about this love triangle that they're in. That the Bible, uh, for a married couple, you might believe that the Bible says that God should be number one and your spouse should be number two and that you should consider yourself third. That Kind of that I'm third idea, which is a noble idea. I think that's great. But in a marriage, I'm not sure that's what Scripture says. What Scripture says is that God should be number one in our lives and the two of you as a married couple are becoming one. And since you're becoming one, it's not about an order of priority, one, two, three. It's that God's number one and you're becoming one. And it's this interesting marriage triangle, love triangle, where there's God at the top of the triangle and the two of you are falling more deeply and intimately in love with who God is. And you're growing closer and closer to him in your faith. And the closer you grow to him in your faith, look at that, the closer you grow to one another. If one of you stops or becomes stagnant in your faith and one of you keeps growing towards God while the other one either isn't a believer or the other one doesn't grow in their faith, then guess what? The distance between the two of you will grow greater and the, and the love that you have for one another will grow colder because you're not moving both towards God. The closer you get towards God, the closer you get in relationship to one another. And while I think that's a brilliant marriage principle, that if you'll keep your relationship between you and God right, then the relationship between you and your spouse can be fresh because you're growing closer to one another as you grow closer to him. I think that's actually a tremendous illustration of the way God intends for us to relate to one another, not simply in marriage, but in our friendships. And not simply in our friendships, but in our relationships with our leaders. And not just in our relationship with our leaders, but maybe in our relationships with men and women in our community who think differently than we do. We should make prayer the foundation of every relationship. And you know what's going to happen is in our relationships, I have a friend who used to say that if, if you've got a friend and the two of you always agree on everything all the time, one of you is just not necessary. <laughs> and so uh, he'll, he'll make that argument at some point in friendships, in relationships, there's going to be conflict and there's going to be disagreements and I really prefer this and you really prefer that. And you're going to have a fight. And one of the things Scripture does with prayer is it, it really indicates to us that if you have to fight, if you must fight, fight first in prayer. That's the first place to go. Fight first. Because prayer, prayer is that conversation you have with God that moves your heart and that moves people. And I, this is such a great mystery, but it's such a beautiful mystery. Somehow in prayer, we don't just move people and God doesn't just move our hearts somehow we can move the heart of God in all of that? 
If you must fight, fight first in prayer. Look at that verse one more time. Verse, verse one. Therefore, I exhort first of all. I'm just going to stop right there in the first of all. The therefore that's there is therefore a reason. And it's because Paul just finished a conversation in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And in verses 18 through 20, we're not going to read it. I just want to tell you about it. But in, that, in those last few verses, Paul is talking about a conflict, a significant conflict that has arisen within the church between some guys named Alexander and Hymenaeus. Alexander and Hymenaeus, they were believers according to what the church thought. And they had come in and they started teaching and preaching ideas that really weren't ideas that believers, that the Bible, that Scripture says are accurate or right about the gospel. So Paul and Timothy were having this incredible conflict with Alexander and Hymenaeus. And the things that Paul says about Alexander and Hymenaeus in verses 18 through 20, are they're pretty serious. He, Paul basically says, I've basically handed them over to the enemy because they are just so wrong. And in giving this instruction to Timothy, he, he says, okay, I've outlined the problem. Now I'm going to outline the solution. Therefore, because of these problems, first of all, the very first thing I exhort you to do is I exhort you to pray. That's the very, pray for Alexander and Hymenaeus. Pray for yourself. Pray for me as Paul, the one who's relating to them. Pray for the people around them who are, who are believing the lies that they're telling. Pray for the people who disagree with you. Pray for them and ask God to do something significant and something personal in their lives. If you have to fight, fight first in prayer. Now, that's the other thing that's remarkable about this passage. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? For all men. And then for kings and all who are in authority. So Timothy, he's one of the leaders, one of the elders in the church at Ephesus. And this is at that time when the law does not recognize Christianity as a legitimate faith, as a, as a legitimate religion. Everything about the law stands opposed to Christianity at this time. So when Paul says, I exhort you first of all to pray for kings and for those in authority, he's looking at Timothy and saying, Timothy, as an elder of the church at Ephesus, here's what I want you to lead the church to do. I want to lead you to pray first for the people who are assigning, they're signing your, the warrants for your arrest. I want you to pray for them. And I want you to pray for those people who are signing the warrants, well, the, the death warrants, for the people who have crossed the legal line too far in their faith. I want you to pray first for those men and women. And here's how I want you to pray. Now watch this. This is interesting. Verse 1 again. I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Have you ever been in an argument or been in a fight and been in that situation where you're just so riled up and you're just so mad and you're just so excited that you're talking, you're talking, you're talking, and then you make this argument and you say four things that all mean the same thing, but you're just going to make certain that everybody gets it because it's big, large, 
awesome and, and huge. You know, have you, ever, have you ever been in one of those arguments where you're just so moving so fast because you're just trying to make your point? You're saying the same things four times? That's exactly what Paul's doing here. He uses four different words to describe the way we're supposed to pray for those people we're in a conflict with, those people that we disagree with. And he's making the argument that as we pray for them, as they move towards God or as God moves them towards himself, and as we move towards God, that we end up coming together even when we disagree in a way like we never could otherwise. There's something supernatural about it. Now, my mom, uh, we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner here in just a few weeks, and my mom has, of, of all the people I've ever met, she has the gift of hospitality. It's just off the charts. When it comes to being a connector uh, person, the, the only person I know that competes with my mom and how she connects with people is our pastor, Chris Wall. Um, he, you know, he knows everybody everywhere. Everybody knows him. My mom knows, I think, one person more than him, I think is uh, how that works. I called her the other day, and she was clearly on, on the road on her way to Stillwater. I'm like, Mom, you live, live in Oklahoma City. Why are you going to Stillwater? Oh, I'm meeting a friend for lunch. <laughs> At Eskimo Joe's? Oh, great. Who is it? Oh, it's a friend from, the, from kindergarten. We grew up in kindergarten together. I'm, she's my mom, so she's not... How do I say that? She's mature in her years. And she's still having lunch with a friend she's had in kindergarten. And her gift of hospitality is off the charts. And we're about to go have Thanksgiving lunch with her. And because of her gift of hospitality, we won't just have Thanksgiving lunch, we'll have an appetizer, and we'll have an entree, and we'll have a dessert, and we will sit down to watch football filled to the full with all of the pumpkin and pecan and chocolate pie you could ever imagine. And before the TV gets turned on and the table is cleared, my mom will look at every one of us and go, so what are you guys thinking for dinner tonight? What are y'all thinking about for dinner tonight? Because she's thinking in her head, should I cook something else? Should I do something different? Are we going to go to Ted's for Mexican food? What are we going to do tonight? We're going to have an awesome Thanksgiving meal on that day, and then we're going to have it again and again and again because my mom is going to make certain that she just keeps pushing pie down this hole, and it's going to be awesome. I'm going to love every minute of it. Paul is looking right here, and he's saying, hey, let me tell you how serious prayer is. You should have an appetizer and you should have an entree of prayer. And you should have a dessert of prayer. And you should have all these moments and opportunities when you're praying for the people that you disagree with and who disagrees with you. You should pray. And here's how. Look at this. He uses four different words. And just like we're all going to have one Thanksgiving meal, but we're going to have four different parts of it. Here's one. Uh, here, prayer is the thing we're going to do, but here's four ways we can do it. The first idea is supplications. Supplications. I therefore I, uh, I exhort first of all that supplications be made for for all men. Supplication is the idea that when you pray, make prayer personal. Make prayer personal. It's that you know who you're praying for and you know what needs to be prayed. These arguments that we have about left versus right, these votes that we cast and these ways that, that you're like, well, I'm a little more like this and you're a little more like that, they don't have to be the thing that can divide us. That can be the thing that causes us to pray. One of the things that I think about when I think about praying for all men and specifically for leaders, as this passage tells us to do, is that the richest, most powerful, most prominent, most intelligent people in the world are not nearly enough. They're not nearly enough to solve the problems that this world has. And can I just encourage you in something? They're not nearly enough to create a problem that's bigger than what God can handle. 
Did you catch that? They're not nearly enough. No matter who they are, no matter what policy they stand for, no matter what party they're a part of, they're not nearly enough to solve the problems that this world has. And they're not nearly enough to create a problem that our God cannot solve. So supplication, when you pray for them, make it personal. That's the next idea. Out of supplications, he actually uses the word prayers. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks are the four words. Prayer there is the broad idea of prayer, but, but it's something more specific than the broad idea. It's this idea that I'm going to rest my devotion on a trusted friend. So I'm saying to God, God, I'm going to pray personally about these people, both my friends and my family who disagrees with me, And at the same time, I'm going to pray for our leaders, some who are for me, some who seem to be against me, some who seem to be just in it for themselves. I'm going to pray personally for them. And when I pray, I'm going to bring these ideas to you, Father, in devotion because you are my trusted friend. Why, God, would I bring these requests to you? Because over and over and over again, God, you've proven to be faithful in my life. And so in these places of liberty and religious liberty where we get concerned for our rights and we get concerned for for the the laws that are being passed and the culture wars that are taking place god i trust you as the powerful controller of all things to do exceedingly abundantly above all i could ask or think to solve this and god even if the law turns against me i know that you are for me and whatever just like joe saying whatever storm may come I can stand, not because I'm strong, not because my politics are right, not because my party won or lost, not because my nation is, but because my God is, and he can supply all of our need according to his riches and glory, and throughout all of history and all of time, he's been telling one story and one story alone, and that story is that I will be your God, and you will be my people, and in the end, we win. He's been telling that story over and over and over again. So when you pray, make it personal. When you pray, rest your devotion on a trusted friend. And sometimes that seems really hard in light of what our government is doing and in light of what politics leads us to think and to do and to be. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13 for just a moment. Turn with me for for just a moment to Romans chapter 13. As I read this passage of Scripture, I just want to challenge you with this idea. It's a question that I've asked before. When do the thoughts we think become the prayers we pray? When do the thoughts we think become the prayers that we pray. Look at Romans chapter 13. This is an instruction for how we pray for our leaders. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. This is Paul writing this. And remember, he's writing about the people who are signing his arrest warrant. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. You will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Wait a minute, God, you said I have to pay taxes? 
okay, whatever you say, God, just as much as I owe and nothing more. <laughs> um, Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake, for because of this you pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Supplications, we should pray personally for people. We should make it personal prayers. We should rest our devotion on a trusted friend. And then intercession, intercession is this idea that with childlike confidence, with childlike confidence, will throw yourself between God and the people that concern you most. With childlike confidence, throw yourself between God and the people who concern you most. Do you realize, do you realize that when you pray forgiveness for someone, that what you're really doing is releasing them into the hands of God? And just like you and I have received God's mercy, perhaps they'll receive God's mercy. We received God's mercy through the grace of Jesus Christ. And if that person chooses to reject the grace of Christ, if they choose to reject God and all of his provision, if they choose to ignore him and to rebel, rebel against him and to worship themselves rather than to worship them him, him, then as we release them into the hands of God through prayer and through forgiveness, as we do that, then instead of receiving the mercy of God, they experience at some point the judgment of God. But your involvement in that is to throw yourself with childlike confidence between them and God and to beg mercy for them, to ask that God would transform their hearts and their lives in a way like only God can, in the same way that he transformed yours. I don't know if y'all are like me or not, but I have these moments when I get into an argument with someone and I'll have the argument with them and then I'll leave the argument and after I leave the argument, I think of 57 other things that I should have said. I mean, have you ever been that? And then for me, those arguments are relived every morning as I'm getting ready. Usually it starts in the shower and ends while I'm brushing my teeth, right? I'm having these arguments over and over and over again. And it's amazing because when I'm having those shower arguments and those bathroom arguments, I don't know, you guys probably are better at me than this, I win every one of those arguments every time. I am so good. It's like you should, I should be on TV, right? I should make in these arguments because, man, if everybody just heard me while I was brushing my teeth make this argument, everybody would just agree with me. You know, when it comes to our praying, that idea, when do the thoughts we think become the prayers we pray? Well, I wonder sometimes, those arguments we have in our head, that self-talk that we have that tells us we're always right, and somebody's always wrong. That self-talk that we have that reminds us of how good we are and how bad they are, how smart we are and how dumb they are, how strong we are and how weak they are, how big we are and how small they are. That self-talk. I wonder when that crosses the line from simply being self-talk to being the kind of talk that is a kind of prayer to the deceptive and the selfish and the false idol of me. I wonder when that happens. You see, the thoughts we think become the prayers we pray when we submit our heart and our mind to God. 
when as we think these arguments and we think these thoughts, we, we submit ourselves and surrender to God and say, God, I think all these things and I feel all these things and I believe all these things and all these things are, God, they're so important. And I trust you. The thoughts we think become the prayers we pray when we turn our hearts and our minds towards God. And with that idea of intercession, God, can I throw myself between you and that political candidate I disagree with? Can I throw myself between you and that topic that I'm just so passionate about that seems like I'm losing on or seems like I'm winning on? Can I? Have you ever had that moment where you have a child sitting on your lap, maybe a three or four-year-old, maybe a five-year-old, someone who can talk and he's, he's trying to get your attention and you're looking at your phone or you're having a conversation with your spouse and you're just having that moment and they're just sitting on their lap, they're trying to tell you a story, but you've heard the story before, you know, you were there when it happened, you know, you all those things. Have you ever had that moment when that child is sitting on your lap and they just stop you and they grab your face and they turn your face to you and they're like, let me tell you about Princess Donut, my new cat. You know, have you had that moment with childlike faith? Would you trust God to look him in the eye and tell him what you want and see how he responds? I'm sorry, you can't have Princess Donut. She's a feral cat, and besides, cats taste good. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. That, don't say that to a child. That'd be, that'd be bad. But have you had that moment where you've prayed like that? That's, that's intercessions. And then here's the last one. Give thanks. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and it's acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all people be saved. Even that politician who's just so deceptive, even that person who supports that issue that you just find vile, even that culture warrior who has decided that they're going to do something completely off-kilter with what you think is, is normal, he desires all of them to be saved. Giving of thanks. Give thanks to God for his faithfulness to lead leaders. That's how we give thanks. Proverbs 21.1 says, The heart of a king is in the hands of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he desires. Give thanks to God for leading leaders. You know, um, I've had the privilege twice of being able to serve as the State Senate Chaplain of the Week. So I've gotten to go to Oklahoma City and, and stand, along our state, stand alongside our state senators and just be a chaplain to them. I'm there all week. Uh, I was able to open the sessions with prayer. At the end of the week, I was able to give a little devotional on the House of the Senate in Oklahoma City. Um, but that wasn't the heart behind what I was asked to do and what I really wanted to do while I was there. I had the privilege both times to go to, to go to the office of every senator in our state. Didn't matter what their political party was, didn't matter what candidate or what issue, whatever issues they wanted. I had the privilege of being able to go into their offices, to look them in the eye and to shake their hand and say, Hi, I'm Chad. I'm the state chaplain of the week. I only have one question for you. How could I pray for you today? And you know what? The people who are in our Senate who are rabid Democrats, 
they are hungry for someone to pray for them and to care enough about them to listen to some of their personal needs and to take the time to bring those needs in a thankful way before our Heavenly Father. And you know what? I looked in the eyes of some of our rabid Republicans in the state Senate. I've done it twice now. Hey, how could I pray for you? And they're hungry for someone like you to care enough about them to pray for their families, to recognize beyond the issues and beyond the politics, beyond the votes, beyond the crazy campaign ads, there's a person there that God loves and his desire is for them to be saved. And politics, I believe, is probably best when it's personal. And so are our prayers. Some of them, I was there in each office for five minutes, maybe, some of them a little longer. Some of them, I just asked the question, how could I pray for you? And out of that, I got a story about a personal hurt that they're experiencing. And as we're praying, they're crying. These are leaders. And they're hurt. And they don't know me from Adam. But they know I asked to pray for them. I wonder how different our religious liberty would be 50 years from now. If this were the church and we were the people who were praying personally and individually and giving thanks for and seeking the salvation of those who lead. Sometimes I just think in our nation, if we want better leaders, we need to be better people. So let me ask us to do this right now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? And, and I'm going to offer up two things. Um, first, I'm going to call us to pray today. On our app, there's a link to a spreadsheet. And on that spreadsheet, it has the name of everyone who is on the ballot in this area, along with an email address. I would encourage you, that's the Mission Life Challenge for the week, that you would send a prayer, a kind prayer, a personal prayer of thanks to everyone who was on the ballot last Tuesday, whether they won or whether they lost. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your politics is. Doesn't matter what their politics is. Just send an email to them uh, and, and, and pray for them. And today, I'm going to ask us to pray as a people for them. We're going to stand together in just a moment, and, and we're going to do that. And if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ, then all of this begins with you placing your faith in Jesus. And so we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing. And then after we sing, there's one more thing I want us to do together. And so let's pray together, and then we'll stand together. If you need to place your faith in Christ, I'll be down here. We'll be able to talk together. After we finish singing, there's one more thing I want us to do, and then our service will be concluded. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be those people who are praying for one another, for that friend that disagrees with us, for that policy or that issue that's so, that we're so passionate about. Lead us in how we should talk about those things and how we should pray about those people and those things. Lead us to pray for leaders. Help us to figure out ways to pray personally for them. And would you just allow us to be better people so that we can elect better leaders? Would we recognize that when we work, we work. When we campaign, we campaign. But when we pray, Father, you work on our behalf. So would you help us to be mighty in prayer?
help us to fight for the salvation of people. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.